if, if we're if we're really honest, the reality is that we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. We think we do know, and we create the um, the plan for it to happen. But at, at any time, different things could come into our lives, and they often do, and they um, they take us a little bit off um, off track. And that's, I guess, that's life. That's kind of what life is all about. But when it's everybody experiencing it together, then it feels even more overwhelming because of the, you know, the associated noise, whether it be in the media or social media or in your family chats or friends chats or whatever it might be. It's like the only thing that people are talking about. Um, so I think that there's there's something around, you know, why we like goals because they like us feeling control. And then the flip side is that actually, at any time um, throughout our lives, things can change that flip our goals on their heads. Well, hello there, folks. I hope you're safe and sound and managing to keep your distance and being imaginative with your meal preparation after listening to Louise Burke last week. Well, welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. Now, this is the third in a series of special episodes focused on supporting and championing you during this challenging time where we're all feeling the threat of COVID-19. We're at the very least required to take responsibility for our actions in society for each other. And we're also then experiencing change. And so this episode is all about our mental skills and how we might be thinking about change and the challenges that we're under. And so in this episode, I talked to Dr. Andrea First, who is a performance psychologist at Mental Notes. And Andrea has had a highly successful career supporting some of the highest performing teams to the highest performances. She has worked in Australia and in Singapore and now based in the UK. And she supported the Australian kayak team, Singapore Sailing, GB Hockey, is widely sought after in professional sports and supporting business leaders. And Andrea brings a really grounded, pragmatic approach to her practice. And she's thoughtful, intuitive, but also shrewd and a real no-nonsense approach to her. And in this conversation, we discuss some of the emotions and challenges that everyday people and athletes will be experiencing during this lockdown period. And what methods and ways of thinking can help people cope and thrive. And what I really enjoyed about this conversation was not only hearing about the mental models and ideas that can help people cope with change, but I was also compelled by her approach of putting human needs first on the path towards self-discovery. So on that note, let's jump straight into the conversation. Well, very warm welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Great to have you on. Thank you very much. And now we've been trying to arrange a podcast recording for maybe a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> and we were, due to, we were due to speak in a few weeks' time, and um, you kindly agreed to shift it forward in response to us as maybe just having a bit of a discussion and opening up our thoughts about some of the mental challenges that that maybe we're faced with at the current time and the, the current challenge that we've got going on. So, um, but first of all, before we get into that, um, how are you? Yeah, I'm uh, good. Thank you, Steve. I have um, probably a bit like everybody had to make some adjustments to uh, day-to-day life. Um, you know, being in an Olympic year for for me, it's meant that, you know, travel and um and such has stopped completely, which is, you know, again, like everybody in the world. Um, but I think the the major 
change to to kind of get my head around and help others get their heads around is the the you know the Olympic date being um, in, in question at first and then now postponed 12 months. Uh, but in, but in general, um, I'd say most people are in pretty good spirits right now, um, and and I would feel feel the same. Um, but just a new way of working, you know, I like the face-to-face and I like the interaction, you know, in the same room as people. So for me, um, doing everything via calls or video um, meetings has been just a huge change, a huge change. Okay, so maybe we can get into that specifically around the, the Olympic cycle and the, the sort of extension of four-year into a five-year cycle. And then I presume we're going to have a three-year cycle uh, for the one after. I don't know how they're going to manage, whether they're going to just going to skip it. Um, but I'm just, I'm keen to, to maybe just ask you from the outset, given that we're a few weeks into this lockdown, certainly in the UK and other places following um, on, other people now starting to relax some of the restrictions. But I just wanted to ask you in terms of, for everyday folk, what, what are the potential emotions and feelings that people are going to be experiencing during this strange time? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question and one I think that, um, you know, I can, I can speak from, you know, experience in terms of myself but also then the people that are um, that I'm working with. And I think the main main things are um, that, that I'm hearing and seeing are anxiety around uncertainty and um, which, you know, stems from a lot of unanswered questions. So we, we don't you know, we don't know all the answers, um, and we're probably not going to know a lot of the answers um, along the way. And I think that that's been one of the main, uh, I think, challenges for people to kind of get their their heads around and understand. Um, you know, in this point of time, you know, I think the other one would be that there is a huge, because of the change, the 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 adjustment um, and the adjustment to the new life, and for, and for some people, you know, we've got extremes you know throughout the world um but some people you know it could be they're homeschooling and they're both working from home um and they're having to try and divide the house into areas of of work so it's almost like setting up a new um working and living you know arrangement um in their own homes we've got some people with outdoor space with no outdoor space we've got some people are losing jobs i mean so i think in terms of change everybody's going through change of some description and and that takes a little while to adjust and, and realise that um, with that change, you know, you we want to sometimes rush it rather than just being a little bit more accepting of, hey, we're, we're going to take a little bit of time and work out, you know, which room is best for meetings or how we're going to homeschool or when do we do our exercise or, you know, all those sorts of things that um, I think the last two weeks in particular have probably been the most um, prevalent conversations we've had. Yeah, that uncertainty, as much as anything, obviously people's livelihoods or or indeed people that they care for might be um, ill, for example. But but equally, the uncertainty of when it might end. That you know, I think I think we like to work with finish lines. Um, I'm someone who who has an unusual obsession with rounding up my runs to the nearest kilometer or going an extra, I go up to the roundabout and back to with on my bike to make sure I've got a nice neat round number. And, and that's just about sort of almost thinking, well, what's the finish line that I'm working to? Uh, what's my, what's my goal and, and trying to box it off. Um, I can imagine almost that if we said, right, well, it's, it's going to be all back to normal by, 
January 2021, we could then start focusing and switching our our attentions to structuring in that way. What, what's happening there then, really? I mean, it's just sort of throwing it into the future and 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 in in people's minds. I'm, for myself, I'm I'm just talking about me here. I'm not talking about psychological concepts, but it just feels like it's a lot going on in my head. <laughs> it's yeah, almost busy yeah. busy up there, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's spot on, particularly for the. Um, I guess, you know, we've talked about four-year cycles and the highly sort of structured planning types, um, which again in high-performance sport and in a lot of businesses, they, they have to be very organised and strategic. And when the deadlines um, are you know, either up in the air, like it was for Tokyo for you know many, many months, um, is it going to go ahead? Is it not going to go ahead? Which actually, in all honesty, when it, they postponed it, it was probably much better for people because at least they knew it wasn't happening and there was a decision being made. Um, but I think in terms of what we're experiencing, kind of to bring it back to the, the general worldwide um, situation, is that the time frame, you know, and not having that timeline, particularly when that's always part of goal setting, um, you know, typically the time frame is is involved with goal setting. Then that's the bit that is creating a lot of noise in people's heads, um, because you you can kind of deal with something a little bit easier when you know that it's only for, you know, four months, sixteen months, whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, I I think that your what your experience is definitely common in a lot of the conversations, um, and we. To put a bit of light on this as well, I think that what we do as humans is, you know, we like to be agents of, of change and agents of our own destiny and and quite often we set up the goals and plans to create that certainty. But if, if, we're, if we're really honest, the reality is that we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. We think we do know and we create the, um, the plan for it to happen, but at, at any time, different things could come into our lives and they often do and they um, they take us a little bit off um, off track and that's I guess that's life that's kind of what life is all about but when it's everybody experiencing it together then it feels even more overwhelming because of the you know the associated noise whether it be in the media or social media or in your family chats or friends chats or whatever it might be it's like the only thing that people are talking about um, so I think that there's there's something around you know why we like goals because they like us feel in control and then the flip side is that actually at any time um, throughout our lives things can change that flip our goals on their heads. And from the other side of that, um, in terms of coping with change, how do, I mean how do we do that? Because there does seem as though there's this extraordinarily um, infectious community that sort of sprung up where we're all in this together. And so I don't feel sort of put upon. I don't feel isolated in that sense. We're all going through this and we're all experiencing it. And, you know, we've adapted relatively quickly to quite an unusual situation. Most of us, anyway, I watched a film the other day and, and, I saw them shaking hands and I had like a rush of adrenaline thinking, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> That's out of date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the, the flip side of it being overwhelming with everyone experiencing it at the same time is that you've got that sense of we're in this together. We are, are um, going through pretty much the same thing as a world, as a country together. Um, I guess the bit that is probably um, – 
slightly different, I think, when we get sort of comparisons to, you know, world wars, um, is that the, the social distancing. So even though we've got wonderful things like um, FaceTime and Zoom and Skype and uh, things that we can connect and even just the audio where we can connect and compared to things of the past, it's still um, – it's almost like we've been told to do less rather than more together like as in it's all virtual and we still can contribute to society but it's all from afar so I think that that is the you know a big kind of um, challenge I think for humans sometimes is we are social creatures we like doing things together typically whether it's in small groups in pairs as big groups whatever your preference Um, but we're obviously being told not to do some things that are really natural and integrated into our into our way of life Um, so I think that 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 bit there of Yes, we're all in together. I think that's the positive side. I'm hearing so many, um, so many good reports of communities coming together and you know neighbours talking and waving, and they've never never done that before. Mm. Yeah, certainly that isolation or that loneliness. Uh, it does. It you know, whilst we're connected at home with our family and our our girls, all right, we're spending a little bit too much time with each other, and clearly by yeah. some of the <laughs> some of the arguments that pop up here and there, but. But equally, uh, yeah, to the fact that I can't go and see my gra- my my parents, uh, you know, the elderly, yeah. uh, etc., and, and and a lot of people just that that ease of being able to oh, pop over for the afternoon, yeah. it's just gone. Yeah, it it is absolutely gone, and I think the that that's the bit that I think people feel a little bit restrained um, from, you know, being able to do the things they normally can do. And definitely if you are a social um, character, you know, the flip side um, of that is also, you know, I can speak from personal experience here of my family in Australia, my parents, I've never seen them so happy um, because they've got an hour of FaceTime on a Sunday morning and they just don't normally get that from myself and my husband. And that's, so, you know, we were both in our pajamas, to, you know, nearly midday on Sunday because you know both sets of parents wanted to talk and um, and take us through what they've been up to and see what we've been up to and and for them that was like Christmas. I, I think we can count on one hand in you know nearly twenty years of marriage how long how many times we've done that. So mm. yeah, I think just like um, there are some you know obviously some difficult challenges, there are also some really positive things that come out of these times. And I was reading some a thoughtful, if not, I don't know whether it's evidence-based observations about this urge for us to go out to the supermarkets and hoard and stockpile and so on. And and it does seem as though that's almost you know it's pervasive. Our whole countries are doing this, and uh, and it seems as though it t- it tends to settle down. But I I read an interesting piece about how it might be related to when we are faced with loss that we immediately look to see what we can gain and it and it it makes us almost inherently greedy without us really needing it necessarily it's an interesting byproduct or misshoot of some of our behaviors even though we're not might not be motivated that way yeah and, and that the i guess the the social media side of, of people seeing other people behave like that so that whole you know monkey see monkey do to a certain degree comes in as well um and you know it has settled down and i think also that's um it, it kind of just got such a big run on didn't it so quickly it, that that then everyone's like well I, if they're doing it i must do it um and it is as you said counter counterproductive but also counterintuitive to the fact that we kind of we most of us in particularly in the western world know we've got 
most of what we need and probably surplus to be fair i think some of us have worked out how little we do need in this time um we've created created the need rather than actually uh, a genuine one um so yeah i think those observations of human behavior have been fascinating to read about and and um, I'd like you to to counsel me through another emotion I'm feeling. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this is I have to pay you for this, Andrew. But um, another another feeling I've had is is spikes of guilt uh, that we're hovelled up at home with recording TikTok dances in the in the garden and and okay, it's unusual, but we're happy, healthy. Um, we've got perhaps an enhanced freedom to explore some things that we haven't done before. And then I have this alarming spike when I turn the news on and friends who are nurses that are posting the distress that they're seeing. And it's like there's two parallel worlds that are, that are existing, mm -hmm. but I'm, and I, and I have a view of that and I see it and I feel guilt. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I would say it's incredibly normal to be feeling that way when you know we want to I think genuinely most people would want to help and want to do something and I guess the that was kind of probably I probably didn't explain it well enough before with regards to the um because we're having to kind of stay in and you do get a little bit more insular in kind of looking after your own whether it be yourself whether it be your family extended family whatever that might be um, and that that's actually contributing to society, but it doesn't feel like it is. And so, whereas, you know, if we go back to wartime, then it was very obvious the sort of, you know, the, the numbers of people that were helping out, whether it be actually, you know, in battle or at home, you know, nursing wounded soldiers or helping those that have got, you know, families who have um, gone to war or whatever it might be. And I think that's the difference, or one of many differences, um, where we might not feel like we're contributing, but actually, you know, listening and taking notice of the messages from our government is actually part of the solution as well. And so an ambitiously open question, but what would be your sort of top tips for people to to be coping during this period of time? Have you got any any, any sense of the sort of common things that that people can be active with with, with a, a little bit of a disclaimer about I suppose the caution of, of overloading people with new strategies, a new thing, when actually that feels a little bit overwhelming sometimes. So I've got to do this, I've got to adopt these new high performance behaviors and so on. But any any little um tips and tricks that people could be thinking differently, switching their thinking that you might advise? Yeah. I I said this last week, and I think it still remains the same, is that it is – it became quite apparent that it is going to be a marathon rather than a sprint. And um, and and I think that the world I occupy, whether it be, um, you know, for my the own expectations I have on myself and my career and my life, as well as, you know, the high-performance environments I work within, is that it's easy to think, as you said, like, you know, Let's learn new things. Let's make use of this time. Let's, um, you know, there was new languages, new courses. I mean, I, probably similar to you, I dare say, in our social media feeds or in our email inboxes, there are loads and loads of, um, you know, this 
this new course, four weeks, sign up, new webinars, all these sorts of things. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And most of them I'm like looking at going, I'd love to do that, but I've got no more time now than I did, you know, did before. Um, and uh, and so I think for, for people to kind of accept, depending on their circumstances, of course, there will be people that absolutely have more time. Um, so I'm not suggesting that everybody doesn't have um, more time people may well and they may be liking the fact they've got some you know new things there to do but we are we are not going to be back to whatever was four or five weeks ago um, ever and um, and I'm not saying that as a doom and gloom it's more that there's going to be a new normal that we will you know gradually work our way into and, and so seeing this as more of a marathon rather than a sprint that's where that phrase came from and, and not rushing to try and do everything so quickly um, and really the most important things now are you know realizing the adjustment and realizing some of the emotions you're feeling and and kind of sitting with them and knowing that they're quite normal in a in a worldwide crisis um, and and being okay with that um, at the same time, then knowing, you know, hopefully learning a bit about yourself and how you deal with uncertainty and what sort of things might help you. And that's where you trial things and, and um, test things and see what works. But but right now, the, the main things would be, you know, being patient and a bit more kind to yourself with the adjustment, not feeling like you need to get a lot of things done um, despite what, you know, what your inbox is saying or what your social media feeds are saying. Um and, and sitting with that and then getting, you know, home, food, <laughs> you know, your family, um, all kind of sort of however big or small that might be. Can I pick up on a couple of phrases there just to ask you how? Because um, a lot yeah. of people tune in and hear some stories, but they're also looking for some lessons and some insights. And the, the two phrases there about being patient and being kind. And I wonder if there are some simple bits of advice about how people can do that. There's some of the questions that people might ask themselves in order to do that, because I'd hate to just jump over that and not give people an opportunity to learn a skill or a, or think differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not 100% of, um, sure of, of the audience um, for you, but I imagine that a lot of people are um, probably similar to ourselves in terms of want to get better, want to learn, want to um, put new things in place. So I think that the be kind and be patient aspect is um, is almost realizing the urge to want to do more, be more, you know, create more, um, use this time to your, you know, to your best ability to make it um, worthwhile. Um, when when in fact actually it's much more around the the human basics, and so it's almost like it's almost checking in with yourself and realizing that um, life has slowed down, um, and we can, you know, we we can uh, we can slow down as well. We don't need to necessarily just keep going at the pace that we were. Now that that doesn't mean to say that, um, you know, with a lot of businesses, you know, including our own, have had to like, adjust and move and 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 shift quite and be quite agile. And so it does mean there's a bit of pace to it, but. I don't think we need to overload ourselves as much as potentially we might have thought in those first couple of weeks. Um, so that kindness is is recognising what we're actually going through um, is a rare thing in our time and to kind of be with it and be present with it a little bit more. And I know that be present gets thrown around quite a lot, but just recognising the feelings and being okay with them and being um, showing compassion to yourself that this is 
quite normal given the scenario rather than trying to fight it and trying to be strong and push through and um, ignore those those normal feelings in a in a really uncertain time. Um, and I think that's the we, we're trying to create certainty sometimes in in high performance. Um, not, not I'd say not sometimes all the time we're trying to create certainty, and and so it almost feels odd. To, to stop that urge. Um, so it's almost recognising that urge of, you know, wanting to keep pressing and pushing but going, actually, I can, um, and I'll use another phrase I use quite a lot, I can slow down to go faster here. I can actually take in what's going on and then that will help me, you know, speed up later on. But right now I can actually just just, just slow down. Mm. Okay, so I'm hearing sort of echoes of mindfulness of just recognising those emotions and, and feeling them and being, being present with them almost curious as to, hmm, I'm quite wound up that I can't buy a toilet roll. Yeah. What now? Yeah. Okay. And using, I think, I think using, you know, you, as you've just done then quite well, is that is using a bit of sense of humor to kind of recognize that um, I'm really, you know, I'm getting really bothered with the fact that I can't do something I normally do, or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling guilty that I'm not learning, you know, my fourth language for the fourth week in a row, like whatever it might be, like all those things that are, we, we are getting, particularly the high performance arena are getting bombarded with um, here's an opportunity to do more, do more, do more, do more. And I, and I think that even without this, I would be probably saying we all need to slow down actually because we think we're being quite um, clever and efficient. But in fact, um, sometimes we're, jamming life pack full of loads of things and we're actually not making the progress we think we're making i'm actually quite hopeful for the future in that sense and and it might just be that as you sort of refer to about returning to work and what it might be like but this seems as though it's it could act as a really powerful stimulus of not only developing a different skill set whether that is virtual conferencing whereas before we all used to Say, oh, sorry about the background noise from the wind tunnel, um, I, or I'm having a coffee and I'm playing the drums at the same time on a virtual <laughs> conference. Now we're <laughs> developing an etiquette and skill around that, but also yeah. saying, why? Why would I travel 10 hours for a half an hour meeting to be face to face? It's poor use of our time and our well being. And, yeah. and, and causing and using it as a stimulus. I mean, I think probably that it asks me some questions about, air travel and um some of the things my carbon footprint uh, and yeah. how much i'm wasting i've wasted that i've wasted so much less in our in our food bins uh, sorry oh, I'm, asking, I'm, I'm telling you about food bins now i don't know why no but 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 i think yeah but i think also like it, it like these are the things that it doesn't matter whether you're in high performance sport um or whatever uh, industry you're in, these are very real things. I think they're the things that matter at the moment. So the fact that we've both gone straight to those conversations and those topics, I think says something about where our own reflections are. Like, I'm, yes, I'm interested in talking about the Olympic Games and, and that, but actually it's all, all winding back to some of these really fundamental principles of how do we want to live our lives. And, and it is a time for reflection and a time for being a little bit philosophical and um, I, I, like personally, I would say I'm not a hoarder, but I have found things in my pantry to make meals out of that ordinarily I would have gone, oh, we're missing a cucumber. I need that for this salad. I'm going to go and buy one and rather than actually going, right, what can I make here? Um, 
and and it's really you know I, I grew up on a farm in rural South Australia and so I look back and think about how my mother prepared and she would have meal plans and she would go to the grocery store once a week and she was organized but she but it was with what we had at the time um and again I've I kind of observed that as a child but I probably didn't even articulate it until what are we now March April 2020 you know many years on that that was what she was doing so I, I think there's some really like yeah as we're sort of talking more there's some really cool stuff that's coming out of this that will make us think um more mindfully and not just from the mindfulness you know way of of life and and the sort of trendy themes that get thrown around in in psychology but actually like what is real life about uh two two things there first of all you didn't know which month it was march or april you were just hedging your bets i think it's spring (laughs) in the uk and and evoking the wartime spirit with the word pantry that was fantastic love that (laughs) (laughs) um so so next question then and i'm cautious to ask you this one as well because i don't because i think that this has been quite glib certainly looking on social media and that's not a healthy reference point but there's been a lot of people that saying oh yeah what we what we're going through is a bit like doing a squat jump um or drawing parallels with the experiences that people are um having physical emotional uh spiritual and oh there's a lesson from high performance sport and that's actually i think i don't think it's always helpful but i i do start wondering about our resilience and our ability to bounce back from major setbacks and wonder if there are some lessons about how we do spring forward and and take an opportunity in the future are you are you feeling that same tension first and then are you saying have you had any thoughts about oh there's something here that's matching from the lessons in high performance and and what we're experiencing yeah uh, absolutely and i guess the thing for for me and those that have worked with me whether it be individually or um collectively they will know that i spend an inordinate amount of time pressing on lessons and reflections and what have you taken out of this and i'm a big fan of um you know whether it be an Olympic debrief or whether it be a career debrief or whether it be an isolated event debrief, like really making sense of things. And uh, I feel like now there's a lot of opportunity for people to make sense of, you know, one, what has my life been like to date? And two, what's going on now? And then three, what does that mean for potential future? And and I think that that whole process is is very uh, natural for me to talk about with with friends, family, and, and clients, um, and and also natural for myself because I think it is part of how you learn. Um, and you know, the the sort of a- athletes um, who are used to me saying, "Where's your journal?" or "Where's your pen and paper?" or "Where's your um, reflective time in your week?" Like that's kind of normal conversation for me. So I think you know we we become resilient. Um, you know, through through learning from what's gone on in the past and learning through, you know, whether it be mistakes or triumphs or both. Um, and But the point is you've got to reflect on it. I don't think it I, – I, this is my view anyway – I don't think it just happens. Um, 
And and I think there's a real chance now for us. Yeah, there's a lot of, as you said, um, references to this is a bit like that and a bit like that. And, and yeah, I think it makes it's it's the metaphor. It's the way we try and understand what is going on. Um, and and some of it's really useful, and some of it for other people, it's like I can't see how this is anything like, <laughs> you know, what you're describing. Then, um, and again, you're probably getting a real sense from me that there's a. It's so much about individual understanding themselves and then once they do that, and again, we're constantly doing it really. It's not a finished um, product by any any stretch. Um, even to the day we die, I think we're still kind of making sense of ourselves. And, and so for then, it does mean that different things are going to work for different people and how they get through it is going to be different as well. But we've got this, I guess, human spirit that surrounds us all, which is um, that you know tough times have always been a part of our history and and we have survived and thrived and it will happen again and I fully believe it will happen again um, and all the little skills and strategies, how big or small they are, come into play you know, every day. People are showing resilience. Yeah, and I like that. So it's, it's sort of centering on the skill that you're developing as opposed to necessarily drawing upon a metaphor or a parallel. Um, I was chatting to a professional footballer, professional football coach uh, last night, and he said, as soon as this happened, I, I sat down and I did some reflections. And I was like, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then he said, I went back to it and, I, and then I sat and I reread them and, I, and then I made some reflections on the reflections. And then today I found myself <laughs> reflecting on the reflections, the reflections. I was like, okay, I think you might have done that one now. Metacognition going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's also that developing the the ability to communicate and and express yourself that I think is often neglected for in working with people that you you're so busy and focused on what are we doing and and how are we doing it um, and and getting a grasp on things actually just simply taking some time to be able to upgrade your skill to communicate to others how you're getting on because because the deadlines have changed because we. Some, for some athletes, they just don't know when it's going to restart. What we're going to need is a, a more literate, more articulate performer at the end of the day to be able to describe, to coach each other, to uh, express themselves. Um, is that something that you're, that you're sensing to or, or starting to get a, a, your head around? It absolutely is. It is... Um you know, I guess particularly working in team sports, that's such a huge, huge benefit for individual athletes to be able to do, you know, even if it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis or it's in a collective team environment where they're um, able to, you know, express or first of all understand how they're feeling and then expressing how they're feeling and, and explain themselves. And that is, you know, an ongoing piece of work in, you know, in every um, every team I'm working with, as well as you know, individual clients, even though their ability to express how they're feeling to me, um, because you know it's it's the questions we ask and the prompting and the nudging and then the explaining of why we've done that to kind of get them to understand you know what what they've just gone through in terms of their understanding of themselves and then being able to um, articulate it. So I, I agree wholeheartedly that that's a, a skill and I agree wholeheartedly that it's something that we are working on all the time you know in the athlete population as well as in the, the workforce um, outside of sport and even in the coach you know the coaches in sport are getting 
Um, I mean, we see some of the fantastic examples of of those who are wonderful, um, not not speech makers. They're just wonderfully authentic in the way that they express themselves, and they're not the same. They're all unique, um, but they are definitely finding their way um, of of sharing their voice, of sharing how they feel and and why they feel the way they do. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly thinking some of the the athletes that you've worked with or that I've experienced or or come across the hockey players and that, that that you've had the chance to work with it'd be great to hear you some of your reflections from the from the previous cycles that that you've worked with them um and I'm thinking about many setbacks that they've experienced but also that they've they've taken their opportunities and you've been a uh, a prominent developer in that system but uh, just the as you say that the ability to communicate what they've experienced it seemed as though it was it was so well refined right off the bat and during that, that experience. I remember listening to Alex Danson, it was 2014, 2015, just thinking, God, you are so self-aware. You are, you are able to express what is going on. You're not just focused on the training session and the, the skill you've got to develop. You, you are super aware of what's going on around you. Yeah, she's incredibly articulate. Um, Alex Danson is incredibly articulate. I think that, you know, if, if, all is said and done with with whether we get to Tokyo, when we, whenever we get to Tokyo. Um, we, again, with this with the hockey girls, with some of the sailors I'm working with um, uh, towards you know towards Tokyo in terms of the Olympic sports, or to be fair, any of the athletes I work with. The, the main thing I want them to do, from my perspective, is to understand themselves. And and as I said earlier, it's not a about um, you know creating a an understanding and then that gets sort of documented and that's that's you for the rest of your life. It's an ongoing process. Um, but the time in which we've got them in their journey through life um, and so is, is what I would like them to think about and say, okay, you know, you started in the program, say this cycle in 2017 and we exit in 2020, whether it's or 2021, and whether you stay or go or whatever happens, I'd like to think that in this period of time, you've learnt more about yourself as a person, um, primarily, and then with that knowledge for you as a performer. And and I think for for the girls in particular, they've spent a lot of time on that. I mean, hockey, and and then I think with every other sport, whether it be the lads at Surrey, the guys now with England um, rugby, in terms of the sports in the UK, then they are. You know, they are going through similar processes, all, all different um, because of their stage and of their development and the, the team environments that they um, have and the types of exposure they've had. It's all very, very different in, in their journeys. But the overarching theme would be, would be that and then, and then being able to create from a performance um, measure is that most, um, if not all of the girls or all of the boys, working towards those big moments that they understand, you know, what they need to do to get themselves ready to perform. Um, I mean, they're kind of, you know, if I had to say they're the, the two or three basics of, of, the, of the, the lessons um, and the pieces of work, they would be the main thing. So, you know, to hear, going back to your comment around the, the, you know, the girls being very articulate and the way they um, express themselves, I mean, some of that is, you know, their own, I mean, again, their journey, their upbringing, their education, their life experiences, as well as some of the things that we've worked on as a squad. But that to me is, you know, is so important um, because then they walk out of that program um, and they can transfer those skills to so many other things. 
Um, and I think that's the a really good piece of work that if we look at times like now, if people aren't taking stock of you know, what they know about themselves you know, to date, then it's a great chance to do it. <laughs> great chance to do it. So if that's, if that's one of the characteristics of the support that you provide as a psychologist to athletic performers, business performers, etc., how, how do you class that? Is that because I, I'm not hearing necessarily the outcome goal. Um, I'm not hearing necessarily as much, but could be a process uh, goal or a support. I'm hearing something deeper that's almost about the experience and uh, almost existential uh, understanding. So you exist. Let's get our heads around that. And that you're talking there about the transfer of learning out after they've finished, but how do you map that to performance every day? Um, so to two questions there about how do you, how do you think about that type of support that is self-awareness, big, big bedrock of high performing people? Um, <laughs> but also how it translates to performance on the pitch or on the water? I, I think if the, I guess the process would be, um, you know, one that's the reflection, whether it be individual or as a team or with a psychologist, you know, with me to kind of go, okay, what strengths, weaknesses, um, you know, overplayed strengths, you know, super strengths, like all that sort of, um, I guess, like basic fundamentals of awareness of, from an athletic and a personal point of view. Uh, and then from there, there are, um, whether it be using personality profiles, whether it be using feedback from others, it, it's almost like this culmination of what do you know about yourself to date and what has helped you understand that and understanding their life experience as well that's created some of the beliefs and and values that they've got in place and so it is it's not a piece of work that for me is um we started on you know January 1st 2017 and we finish you know March 2017 when they first joined the cycle it is like this is ongoing and, and in fact um you know, we have a you know, a Google document that they kind of just add to as and when, and it's 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 live and it's meant to be live for that very reason. So it's not so much that it's a um, a piece of homework that that starts and finishes. So the process, I guess, is that you know the first of all the education that pay attention to what's going on and and test and try and understand yourself and learn from other people and and your own experiences. So, but then I guess we pull it all together. Yeah, again, you know, if you want to call it a document to kind of, you know, at least get it um, recorded. Uh, and then I think from from that, it's that's the personal side and then we link it to the performer, which is knowing that us as an individual, you know, if we're um, crossing the white line, so to speak, that we may well have to be quite different when we perform. Um, some people have got a very similar way of, of being when they perform from a mental perspective and a personality perspective and other people are very, very different. So um, I think it's been quite well documented and you referred to um, Alex Danson and, you know, the, the difference from her, from, you know, her as a person around the group to then her as a competitor is marked. It's very, very different. Um, and, and I think that that's a process that we want all the – athletes that I work with to understand what what is that transition from you as a person to a performer and no different to someone on stage, no different to a surgeon, no different to any sort of high-performing individual where you have to take on a, a, a persona um, to perform. 
and the gap, depending on the gap, um, then that that feeds back to how much we recover psychologically. And, and we talk a lot about how we give back to ourselves to make sure that the person gets looked after when they're constantly um, having to perform. So that links back into the sports science, sports medicine recovery piece um, from a psychological aspect, but also from a physical and physiological perspective. So I think that that process is a constant, you know, it's ongoing, it's ongoing. And, and meanwhile, we're doing these because essentially we want each individual to be able to perform under pressure. And if they know those processes, then that gives them a better chance to you know, test them and try them in training, test them and try them in competition. And the lovely thing about Olympic cycles is we've got four years. And yes, there may well be one or two other major competitions throughout that time. But say with hockey, you know, really we're gunning to, we're constantly talking about the games, even in 2017. Um, and so there is a bit of time. Um, if I compare that to Oh, England rugby, where we don't have the time. You know, we're short camp-based. Um, we've we've got to cut to the chase um, pretty quickly, and and that just changes. Even though I might have the same philosophical approach, I've got to be a bit more nimble um, because I'm not thinking. You know, yes, we're thinking four years to the World Cup, but you know, we're, they're there to win <laughs> every competition that they go into, so to speak. It's not so much of a development of a of a new team um, and kicked on like this. It's not flowy. It's a bit more staccato. Mm. Yeah. Does that answer the question, Steve? I've gone around and around in circles there. <laughs> you look more confused I, I, than <laughs> I can't remember what the question was, but it was an amazing. Yeah, answer. I know. I know. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, I, and, and, and so that, that, that gives me a perfect excuse to ask you another random question. That's completely unlinked though, yeah. to your answer. It. Yeah. But um, yeah. so what I'm, so I'm hearing you, you know, that, that stretch for if someone's got a big gap to, to develop their persona under pressure, then that might mean that they've got to invest in recovery or reflection or processes to support them, to help them bounce back or make sense of it. But, but I suppose one of the questions that's arisen in my mind listening to you is that, is that that assumed that they want to be engaged and and conscious that if you're talking about teams, hockey, rugby, and even in boats, for example, that you're not necessarily talking about one-to-one -one consultations whereby somebody's approached you. I would like you to support me through this career change as a business person. If you're assigned to a squad, you're going to have a whole range of personalities, but, but that's going to vary in terms of how engaged people are. So I'm um, obviously going to ask you about the sticky end because the people that are you know really up for it and a bit of a puppy dog i'll do it i'll do it what's next can give me a new idea you probably my tactic is always to, to help them prioritize but the ones that perhaps are maverick or that aren't as engaged what's your sort of approach to enabling them or working with them yeah very very good question um i I'll always look back fondly on my time with Australian kayaks. So I was with them, Flatwater Kayak, for seven, seven years before I moved to the UK. And I'll never, ever, ever forget some of the first interactions with the senior team. Um, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not big in stature myself, um, and I don't think I'm any bigger now, probably the similar size, but I remember walking in there 
and feeling like a very, very small human being, um, you know, with these, you know, these fantastic physiques of both the males and females, just so strong and, and just, and just big to me, like big people. And um, <laughs> mainly deltoids at, just sticking out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and, and a lot of them were surf lifesavers in Australia. So there's a very um, competitive um, kind of, I'd say, like a big community spirit, quite loud um, and, and, but not very welcoming to a psychologist. And so I spent, um, seven years in my head, come hell or high water, you will learn to appreciate psychology and you will learn to um, value what psychology has to offer. Um, and it was a very strange experience because it was exactly what you just said then, which was my private practice clients seek me out, want to book an appointment, want to pay for it. Uh, it's structured. I'll see you next week or next fortnight or here's the homework you do and it's very organised and it's bliss. It's absolutely bliss. Um, these environments, like the, the kayaking one, um, I cleared the room in the first the first sort of instance. I've gone in there all really excited and feeling like this is my first national gig and and uh, very quickly once they knew who I was, the room was nearly empty. <laughs> Um, and that was just a, a very social sort of you know interaction. It wasn't a, a meeting or anything like that. And so, right, okay, I have uh, I've got some work to do. So I, I guess the why I started there with answering your question is that I learnt very early on in my career that um, one psychology has a long way to go, and two, in terms of being interacted inter, integrated into the sports science, sports medicine um, services, and 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 two that. Um, there's, there's something about making it normal and making psychology part of the, the offering that every other sports science, sports medicine professional um, seemed at the time, this was sort of 2003, four in Australia, seemed at the time to get respect, whereas psychology wasn't anywhere near that. Um, and I was, you know, you know, why? Like, why not? Um, and so I really just plugged away, chipped away at showing that it is just like any other service and um, and any other discipline. And that stemmed from, you know, me being based in sports science, sports medicine practices. So all of the private work I have done since I first started has been in a sports medicine clinic. So they saw psychology as part of the team. Um, so I, I think that that has been my way of slowly chipping away. Um, and then when you come into a team, my expectation is, and even was with the kayakers, like I, I made it um, part of the service agreement with the, with the manager that they would have, you know, two psych screenings a year, just like they had the medical screenings. And, and this is, again, this is obviously, you know, just shy of 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but, but I guess what that showed them was that it mattered and it's sometimes I guess what we need um, in any profession, any discipline is some advocates and and I worked that out pretty quickly um, and that was where I started to feel like we were making it like physio. Physio have screenings, the doctors have screenings, the nutritionists have screenings, so our psychologists, we do the same thing. Um, and for those that then wanted to engage any more than that, they could um, they learnt that they could learn things from me, and I, you know, demonstrated value through being at training and watching and providing, you know, observation. Um, and I think some of the book, you know, some of your book that I've read, 
you know, you, you know you've got to be around and you've got to be inter- interested and showing um, care in what they're doing and, and doing some of the stuff that's outside of your remit because that's just part of you cutting your teeth. Um, and so then from there I started to kind of go, well, it might be the screening and actually I'd like to catch up with you twice a year. And so, you know, that would be my bargaining tool with the coach. Look, it's twice a year. It's not, you know, some, some of the coaches were just as offish as as the athletes um, because we want to look after their, their well-being and make sure that we've got someone who's got a better understanding of where they're at as individual people and athletes um, and something that's, you know, in confidence and it's third party and all those sorts of things. So we started to kind of get that, that rolling um, and from there it's, it's been a slow burn so hence why I talked about marathon and not a sprint when we're off off air is it's just you just slowly work towards building um, I guess building a reputation for providing value um, knowing full well that some will be working with you for those two sessions throughout the year and that is all they want to do with you um, and that is okay with me. That is absolutely okay, but there are some bare minimums, I think, as a service we need to offer, like, and you decide as a practitioner what they are. So I think for, for answering your question, it's it's not so much about trying to turn people into psychology lovers. Um, I've, I think because I learnt the hard way, I've realised that it's just about, you know, um, playing to, you know, demonstrating like, what you want to have happen and you creating that pathway and and having some minimum requirements but also not not getting too wound up if you've got some non-believers in the room Mm. and like any other skill there are those that I have got it licked and they're like just so you know they're onto this they know they might know more than you know about it like and and so you're I think it's it's recognizing that um you know if you're getting someone to do you know a a hockey drill um, that they do very, very well, okay, they, they're going to get bored potentially a little bit quicker than maybe someone who's trying to learn and master it and, and really feels like this could be something that makes them a much better player. So I think there's recognising that I see, I see it anyway, that it's like anything else. Um, some people will need a little bit more support. Some people need a bit more challenge. Some people need a bit of both. And and that's the variety of teams Um and then I think on top of that, with teams, you've got some non-negotiables that you're like, like we're all in this together. We need to do this together. And, and do you think that that stigma is starting to go around psychology, or do you think it's it's changing? I mean, I'm 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 noting over the last five, ten years or so that that you're not just talking about um, people admitting that they're working with a psychologist; they're actually proud of it. You know, Carl yeah. Froch talking about his work with Chris Marshall or Ronnie O'Sullivan with his work with Steve Peters. It's now becoming a sense of, yeah, I'm leaving no stone unturned and this is now a real weapon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely the case. And and it's been it's been interesting to see the, the sort of uh, change from when I was in Australia to then when I had some time in Singapore and then now here in the UK, just how different different cultures um, and different sporting environments were where they were in their journeys and in their development and integration of psychology. And I, I completely agree that we are so far ahead um, of where we were. Uh, I guess the, the, the potential downside of that is, um, you know, where people are uh, 
perhaps not having to cut their teeth as much as they um, they used to. And I think that's probably sports science, sports medicine, full stop. You know, there, there's a, um, some, you know, some fantastic opportunities and jobs, like, you know, coming up that there's just no way, one, that were there before, um, sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, but also, two, that the people that did get those jobs had a wealth of experience um, and so I think that's that's when we've got to be really looking at the education and the qualification and the experience that you know we hope to get before we start um, putting young, inexperienced sports psychs in in some really big jobs. Um, and some people cope with it beautifully, and you know, like like a duck to water, they just you know they get into the systems and they're wonderful. But it is a it is still – it's not quite probably as bad as what I described with the kayakers. And it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, I'm probably being a bit dramatic with it. But I'm looking at it and thinking, you know, you've got to be ready for a bit of resistance even if even if the, the squads um, have got reasonably high psychological literacy. And the, the more that that grows, the more they're going to expect. So it's – it's it, you never – we're never going to be ahead of it, so to speak. <laughs> mm. I like that. Although I'm slightly hearing the – uh, oh, you've got it easy now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> compared, well, you, I mean, I, I think we don't we share a bit of that in terms of yeah. the jobs are the jobs are we're nowhere near there, nowhere near as many, and that's great. Like the the industry has built up so much more than what it used to be. Yeah, I used to. I, mean, I used to earn less than the PhD students, and I used to have to walk hundred miles to my work. And I, mean, I, I think, I think what it, it potentially does is that the door might be open, but it, there are different doors, and so yeah. it's easy and probably to, to look back and think, oh, you know, you've got your, you've got some performers now who have grown up since the age of fifteen, recognizing the value of your service, and they're hungry yeah. for it. They know what they're doing with it, and the, yeah. and they're demanding. Yeah. And what that requires potentially is that. Practitioners have got to have different gears to them. They've got to yeah. be able to help athletes prioritize. They've got to be shrewd in the timing of the thing that they say at the key moment. Because somebody who's hungry and adaptable in their thinking, if you, if you just a throwaway comment about that might be interesting if you pursued that, they might be off and you could be distracting yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. So it's so true. And, and then that's, that's a point around, um, the fact that you know you're now getting athletes that are you know eager to find out about you know psychology or you know recovery, whereas again before there was probably some parts of it that were like yeah you know or they do it in silence, they do it behind closed doors, and um, I've definitely had squads of of athletes where they've been competing um, for spots, and they are some one of them you know didn't want the rest to know that that we were working together because she saw it as a competitive advantage um, and this was you know back in Australia in, in the early 2000s and that was something that I found really fascinating and then moved to Singapore and I had you know um, a real sense of how community based they are and how how much more they want to help each other um, I remember having a pair of four seven four 470s um, working with them and the, the elder ones said, we think you should be helping the younger ones a bit more. Um, and then the younger ones ended up qualifying for the Olympics, you know, and them not going. And I was like, oh, my God, this would have never happened in Australia, you know. So it was one of those funny things where you start to kind of um, realise, you know, again, that whole 
I guess that was years on from my initial years in Australia where they um, were seeing it as something secretive and a bit competitive or something they didn't want to show because it was a weakness, whereas then in another four to eight years' time in Singapore, it was more like, oh, great, this is a, a skill, a service we can use to get for us all to get better. Um, and I think that's where it's it's definitely now. You know, I'm experiencing that in the UK. People are much more open to it now. Um, so looking forward to Tokyo then, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts? And you've mentioned about staying mindful and, and being reflective and, and learning from the experiences, getting to know each other. Any other strategies and plans that you're helping people with? I think there's definitely some key, key principles. And um, when we still don't know when we can start training and, and when the calendar for sporting events is set. So there are two massive big gaps in our knowledge at the moment. So we know that the date's been changed, um, but we don't know what that means for the sporting calendar and then we don't know what that means for us returning to training. Um, and we won't know a lot of that until you know, we have an exit strategy from, you know, from the current situation. So there's massive, massive questions still. But in terms of key principles, we know that we will have some rest and relaxation before the game. So I think if I'm looking at hockey, um, there's there's a um, philosophical approach that even though we don't know the dates now, we know that we will have some time. So we can't say to you it's going to be in October. We can't say to you it's going to be January. But we know that you're going to get a break um, because what would have happened after July and August is that typically athletes have – Olympic athletes have a break um, and people would have planned holidays and um, weddings and all those sorts of things that are kind of cool to do, you know, when, when you live in four-year cycles. Um, so, so there's that. We know that it's coming. We don't know when. So you can kind of rest easy that there are some, you know, there are some thoughts and um, around how the program will be. And, and the second thing will be is that, you know, again, we can't give you specific dates, but we know there'll be a, a lead-in time to when we want you back ready to train. Um, so further to your original point, right at the start when you said it's so much easier when you know that you've got these deadlines and timeframes, I think all we can do is keep reinforcing that there are no hard and fast dates times schedules we cannot possibly even start sharing anything that we're thinking with you because it could change um, and then we've just shared information for the sake of it because we're trying to make you feel a bit better so there's a lot of communication and a lot of um, reiteration of nothing has changed um, so I think there's those things but those key principles I think are really important for us to keep in mind so if people are worried about am I doing enough now am I um, staying in shape, you know, can I take the foot off the gas a bit? Can I enjoy my summer holidays or all those sorts of things? Of course, you're going to get them. We just don't know when. Um, and I think then the main main practice is looking after people's health and well-being. So um, making making sleep, diet, physical activity, you know, connecting with your family and friends a main priority. Um, and if we're looking at team sports, we are trying to keep some connectivity via some more, I guess, the informal, formal catch-ups within the team. So we do small groups. Same thing with Surrey. They're doing small groups in their, in their buddy groups with the leadership group. Um, and, then, and then also some informal things. So, you know, 
group yoga, quiz nights, all those things that the, the girls or the guys can organise themselves and the staff are, you know, are doing things in their own groups. But it's just trying to keep that connectivity like you are in any other workplace ready for when we get back together. Um, and we're going to have to be a bit creative about when we get back together, how we how we do come you know, come back in the same place after everyone's had so much time apart. So I think they're the main things right now. Um, some athletes are wanting to get into visualisation and some athletes are wanting to use this time to do a bit more structured psychological skills training. Um, but for most at the moment, it is just get settled, get yourself set up um, and, and keep the communication going regularly. And some will want more, some will want less, but we are having some definite touch points that we're working towards. Mm, some superb strategies there, Anna. I wonder if it's going to be quite quite an event uh, next year when it all comes together. Um, if the world is able to assemble together again, <laughs> 10,000 <laughs> athletes, 15,000 press, hundreds of thousands of spectators, it's going to be quite an event, isn't it? It's going to be quite almost quite emotional to, to see the human population gather behind a, a celebration of sporting endeavour. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it'll be It'd be, it was going to be unbelievable in Japan as it stood. You know, we, I think everybody um, who's been part of the games or even watching from afar you know, just knows, even without knowing, knows that Japan's going to, you know, do a fantastic job. So, yeah, it's almost going to be a very, you know, representation of, um, you know, where the world's been and where the world is um, come 2021. So, yeah, it'll be a fantastic event. And I think at the moment it's just, as I said, so many unanswered questions that it's just about controlling what what we can um, and focusing on what we can influence and um, and people learning a bit about themselves in the in the way along the way I should say and so last question for me then Andrea what, what's what's next for you I am going to enjoy Easter I think in in some way shape or form um, on a very very small scale obviously just my husband and I um, but I think it's four days of very little work which will be nice um, I haven't scheduled any calls or any um, meetings so that that's probably the first time since since four weeks ago really it's been full-on um, uh, so that would be really nice I think then in terms of what's next you know I'm spend a hell of a lot of time in front of Google Calendar sort of sorting out what's next. And I must admit, I don't think I've looked past two days' time. Um, I don't think I've done that for a decade, if not more, probably more, where I've really just thought about the you know, two days in front of me because really um, until life returns to normal, um, the new normal, um, there's not a lot of um, planning you know, in terms of where I'll be with what sports um, I can do. I'm really waiting, waiting and seeing. Um, and then I guess, you know, similar to what we've talked about earlier is that there's a really good opportunity to, you know, for me to think about different ways of working, um, you know, workshopping online and things like that, that, you know, might be able to get my creative um, mind working on as well. Well, fantastic. Well, we're wishing you well and fascinating to hear your insights and how you're making uh, this area of psychology, but but also how you've broken it into uh, digestible chunks for people to to absorb, but also your achievements and and how you've made it work for uh, a number of high performance teams. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Steve.
good good way to end the week. <laughs> you can follow Andrea on Twitter at Andrea First and have a look at her website called mentalnotespsych.com. You can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at Ingham underscore Steve. Check out our LinkedIn supporting champions page. And you can also join our Facebook performance people community. Have a look at the links in the show notes. 